loved ones. What's more valuable to you? Have you ever tried to sell your house? It's funny, interesting. When you live in your house, you have the responsibility to take care of it, and part of taking care of it is changing things around once in a while. You maintain it, you add some paint, you make improvements as you have time and money. But when it comes time to sell your house, whew, you kick it into overdrive, don't you? Getting at all those projects that you've always meant to get at but never could because of time and money, and really making a push to impress two people the inspector and the potential buyer. And why? Why all that effort? Well, because as one real estate agent put it to us, $100 worth of paint puts $1,000 on the price. People are very impressed by polish. What's more important to you? Polish or glory? Let me put it another way. What's more important to you? Impressing people with a polished life or a life that truly glorifies God? I think you, on your lips, have the answer right. Of course, glorifying God, there's nothing more important than that. But, but what about in your heart? What's more important to you? Impressing people or glorifying God. Today's Transfiguration Sunday. It's a special day each year that, that we as God's church gather together to think about the meaning of the glory of God. And as we do, our hearts struggle with being pulled between two things, the things that impress people in this world so we feel better about ourselves and truly glorifying God, which does not always feel great, but is what God wants us to do and, and with hearts in the right place is what we love doing more than anything else. It's hard. So we take to heart what Jesus teaches us today at his transfiguration, and that does two things for us. It, it gives us hope and it gives us help in our struggle to glorify him. It's the beginning of the end of Jesus' ministry at this point. And his disciples are going through some, some pretty severe shock and disappointment. You see, Jesus made very clear to them that his ministry was not going to end how they had hoped it would. They had hoped that, that Jesus, their miracle making, demon casting out, feeding 5,000 from a sack lunch, taking on the Pharisees and they couldn't touch him, Savior was going to take over. And when he did, that life would be much easier for them. And he had just finished telling them that ain't going to happen. In fact, just the opposite was going to happen. Jesus was going to die horribly at the hands of 
people that he had made look foolish and hadn't been able to touch him, and anyone who wanted to keep following him could expect the same. Life was going to be horrible just because they followed him. Here's how he said it. His actual words were, the Son of Man is going to be suffering many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, to be killed and re-raised on the third day. And then he said to them all, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It's not what they wanted to hear, and they were not sure that they wanted to follow someone who guaranteed that following him was going to make life worse for them. If it meant suffering themselves, they were reconsidering. Jesus knew this. So he did something, decided to do something that was going to encourage them. As he had done before, he took a couple of them on a hike. They went up a mountain where he could pray with them and wouldn't be disturbed by the crowds that were following him and wanting to hear him preach and, and heal them. They could just be alone. There's nothing strange about that. He had done that before. But, but what was strange was that when they got to the high point of the hike, suddenly everything got very, very bright. But the light wasn't coming from the sun in the sky. The light was coming from ground level. Right where Jesus was. In fact, it was Jesus. His face lit up like the sun. And when they looked at his clothes, the same thing was happening from his clothes from his clothes. Light so bright that they had to shield their eyes. And then they realized they weren't alone. No one had hiked up with them, but there were two men talking with Jesus like they were old friends. And did he call one of them Moses? And did he call the other one Elijah? The Moses and the Elijah for Americans, that would have been like the Abraham Lincoln and the George Washington? Heroes of their history. But these men were prophets and they were just standing there talking with Jesus and they were talking, they could overhear them about his departure. Of all the things they could have talked about, Man, we saw you, those, those miracles, Jesus. That was amazing how many you did in one day. Nobody else could cure them. How many followers do you have at this point? Must be nice. No. They spoke of Jesus' departure. Of all the things they could have talked about Jesus, they talk about Jesus' suffering and death. The end of his time here on earth, not only would he die, but he would rise and then depart this world to heaven at his ascension. There's a couple things that we learn from this. The first is that Jesus' suffering and death was no accident. It was something that Moses had spoken of. It was something that Elijah had spoken of down to the details of of who was going to announce that Jesus had been on the scene. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, God's prophets had said, this is God's plan to save you. Jesus was not just someone who said, well, I've gotten so popular that 
people are starting to fall away and I need to keep their attention, so I guess I'll let myself be martyred. None of that planned hundreds and hundreds of years in advance before he was born and before you were. And that means that you never have to doubt God's love for you. God's love for you is not just something that that some really spiritual people came up with and, and tell you to make you feel better. God's love for you is wrapped up in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and it's something that he had in mind for you to save you before you were born. Centuries before. He will always love and care for you. Second thing we learn is that God's glory is not just for perfectly polished people. Moses and Elijah were sinners, and we know, not, we know that not just because God said everybody's sinful, but Moses, we have a record of what a, an angry man he was. Murdered someone in his younger days, and when God clearly told him not to, he got so frustrated with the people that he was leading that he took his walking stick and just started pounding on this rock. And God called him out on that. Just like he called out Elijah, his great prophet who was also prone to self-pity. And said, God, I've been doing all these things. I've done miracles. I've, I've prophesied in your name even though I have hundreds and hundreds of enemies. I put my life at risk for you and I'm the only one that's left. And God says, there's 7,000 people who believe in me too. Quit feeling sorry for yourself and listen to me. And yet these are the people that joined Jesus in glory. Why? Because God forgives them. Because through repentance, through faith, they were connected to a God who, as the hymn says, the wrath of God was satisfied when every sin on him was laid. No matter how unpolished your life is, no matter how stained by sin, no matter how soaked in what's wrong, no matter what you have done to complain or how you have used anger as an excuse to sin, Jesus took it all on himself and eliminated all your sin on the cross so that there's nothing keeping you out of glory. God wasn't done yet. <laughs> Peter came to his senses having experienced the, the glory of God and he was a little punch drunk. He was just a little silly and said, oh, I want to stay here. This is awesome. Let's build up three, t- I'll, I'll make tents for you guys. I don't know where I'll get them, but I'll, I'm going to put up tents so that we can stay here. And then a cloud comes down and as fearful as they were, they They went into the cloud and then they heard this voice that said, this is my son. I want you to listen to him. It was Jesus' father, God the Father, who knew that very soon, within just a couple of minutes, the bright appearance of Jesus and the prophets would be gone and they'd be going back down the mountain to join Jesus and follow him as he suffered and died. And so the thing he told them is, even though you can't see glory, I want you to listen to me. Now they understood, and they didn't say anything about this until the whole story was over. But they understood that God's glory is our goal, but it comes only through listening to him through times of suffering, through suffering in this world. 
God's glory is not about having a perfect life with no problems. True glory happens when God's sons and daughters listen to him and give him credit for getting them through the suffering we all experience in this life. True glory shines through when a daughter of God puts all of her effort into her work at school, not for fear of being called dumb, not for fear of getting in trouble with her teachers or her parents, not even for a grade, but because she knows she has a God who loves her and recognizes that it's God who gave her the ability to do her work and the opportunity to do it, and she wants to glorify him by giving him credit for giving her everything by working hard at her work. That's listening to God. That's how we glorify him. True glory shines through when sons and daughters of God forgive each other in a family, not because they see some advantage or they're just tired of, of, of fighting, but because we have a God who loves us and erases our sin and says, you glorify me when you treat others the way I have treated you. Knowing very well of their sin but refusing to hold it against them. That's hard. But that's listening to God. That glorifies Him. True glory shines through when God's sons and daughters who know the whole story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, fight the urge to lash out in anger. When we pray instead of worrying and complaining, when we choose to worship first and relax later, when we choose to do what's unpopular in this world, even if we are criticized, ostracized, even persecuted for doing God's will. And why? Because God is pleased with us for Jesus' sake and says, doing what's truly good is doing it out of love for me. It shows that we trust him. It shows that pleasing him is more important than impressing people. That's listening to him. That's how we glorify God. I once heard a woman say with some regret that her house was, was ready to be put on the market and she said, we finally have the house just the way we like it, and it's for someone else to enjoy. <laughs> I wish we had done all this work when our family still lived here. As long as we live here and we have a sinful nature, we will always be drawn to try to impress the people of the world instead of loving and serving those that are closest with us. No one is closer to you than a God who came into this world to give himself up for you. No one is closer to you than the Spirit who says, I live in your heart. So we live to listen to God. We live to impress Him, knowing that He holds nothing against us because of Jesus. We live our lives to glorify Him, trusting Him in every situation, following the guidance that He gives us in His Word, praying in all hardship, and even when life is good, and by, all, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, putting all of our hope in Him and His promise that those who carry the cross here while listening to Him will live with Him forever in glory.
This is God's word. 